Hello everyone, uh, so my name's Sana, I'm one of the newly appointed rheumatology registrars. Hi, I'm Samir, I am a rheumatology registrar, ST6. And this video is going to be about rheumatoid arthritis. So we're just going to try and give you a whistle-stop tour of about rheumatoid arthritis. So we'll start with the definition. So it's a chronic systemic inflammatory disease, which is characterized by typically symmetrical, deforming, and usually peripheral polyarthritis. Prevalence is about 1% in the population, and that tends to be higher in smokers. And there's a female-to-male female -male ratio is roughly 3 to 1. Peak onset is probably about 4th to 6th decade, and there is some association with HLA-DR4 and DR1. So in terms of pathophysiology and the mechanism by which people develop rheumatoid arthritis, still lots to learn about, but the thinking at the moment is that it is an autoimmune inflammatory disease and tends to manifest primarily in the synovial tissues. And there tends to be an abnormal interaction between T cells, B cells, and fibroblasts in the synovial tissue. There is an overproduction of certain cytokines, so TNF-alpha, IL-6, and that causes inflammation, hypervascularity in the synovium, which causes thickening. And it's the combination of the hyperemia and the synovial thickening, which is diagnostic of, of synovitis. Autoantibodies are found in quite a large proportion of patients. So usually it's rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP antibody positivity, which you're looking for. And anti-CCP positivity tends to be a, a poor prognostic marker in rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and tends also to be a, tends to also be higher in patients who are smokers. So I'm just going to move on to sort of typical presentation of someone with rheumatoid arthritis. So yeah, I think that'll be good actually. Then we we can talk through the case and go into it in a bit more detail. Great. So so typically it would be someone of like we said the demographics that we mentioned who tends to present with relatively sort of short history of bilateral, so symmetrical, swollen, painful, stiff, small joints, usually of the hands and the feet, which tends to be worse in the morning, tends to ease with activity. The disease course can fluctuate, and sometimes you might see patients presenting with these symptoms in larger joints. There are less common presentations of rheumatoid arthritis, which don't tend to, to present in that particular pattern, but these are less common. So if, if we just go on to the, the, the common presentation, so the, the things that I ask for anyone that presents with a, a polyarthritis, you want to kind of look at the distribution, like you said. So is it symmetrical? But also, is it proximal? So if it affects the proximal joints, specifically in the hands, let's say, or, or the feet, so if it affects the, the, the PIPJs, the MCPJs, then that's more of a, a rheumatoid arthritis distribution. So you can cut the, the distribution does give you a nice little key as to uh, uh, sorry, uh, um, a clue as to what the underlying diagnosis may be. It's not obvious at the beginning, and obviously the first initial presentation you're going to have bloods. So it is the, the history is really key, and exactly like you said, Sam. So so the distribution, the symptoms. So pain specifically worse in the morning, better with movement. So you get that sort of gelling phenomena. So as there's inflammation within the joint, rest really means that it kind of sticks together. And so keeping keeping active, keeping keeping your joints moving actually helps to to oil the joints, like grease up the joints, let's say. Uh, stiffness, again, similar to that sort of phenomena, happens most likely in the morning when you've just been sleeping all night. If, you know, the pain hasn't stopped you sleeping all night. And so you, your joints haven't been moving. And so therefore, when you wake up, you're just stiff. That's different from pain, but that lasts for typically up to an hour. And so there's a real inflammatory sounding symptoms and that, that points you in the direction of an inflammatory etiology for your pain. 
Thanks, Samir. So the kind of less common presentations of rheumatoid arthritis might include, for example, polymyalgic onset rheumatoid, where the presentation is similar to, so definitely there's an element of inflammation, but patients also usually tend to be, my understanding is slightly older than the average person who presents with, with rheumatoid. And they tend to present with symptoms that also overlap with polymyalgia rheumatica. So they might have sort of bilateral sort of shoulder pain and stiffness in addition to some sort of other more, more specifically rheumatoid symptoms. Is that right, Samir? Yeah, yeah. So so it's quite a common thing to see, not, not necessarily for the initial, when you see someone with PMR and they respond to treatment, great, but if they're not responding to treatment and actually as you start to wean down the steroids, they start to then develop peripheral joint synovitis because mm-hmm. polymyalgia is more of a proximal limb girdle pain, stiffness, then you start to think, could this be a polymyalgic onset RA? It's it's a bit of a random one. It's an interesting one that may or may not come up in an interview, but it's more down the line. Unless you think of it straight away, which would be great if you see proximal limb stiffness, pain in the raised inflammatory markers, and then a peripheral synovitis, which is fantastic. But generally, it's more in a, you see someone PMR, and then as time goes on, you kind of think, oh, actually, they do have a little bit of wrist synovitis, ankle synovitis, and then you check their antibodies, and then could this be Great, thanks, Samir. There's also palindromic rheumatism, which is thought of to be sort of pre-rheumatoid arthritis, and not everyone with palindromic rheumatism will necessarily develop rheumatoid arthritis. But this tends to be episodes of quite isolated joint pain swelling and resolves on its own, usually in a very short period of time, so over a few days, almost like gout flares and tends the swelling in the joint tends to be quite quite sort of so juxta articular so not just the joint itself but there's often some sort of just outside the joint some soft tissue swelling as well in addition you might just have a someone who has a monoarthritis that persists and then later develop it is it is found to be the rheumatoid arthritis and some people very rarely will present with the a lot of the extra articular manifestations initially, and then later it becomes evident that they they have involvement in in the small joints as well. But that's quite so. I think moving on to what what kind of things you might want to ask in the history. So as... can I just add in a little bit about sorry, Sam, to interrupt um, a little bit about the the monoarthritis. So a monoarthritis presentation of RA is super. It's not it's not the first thing you should think of, and obviously we spoke about that before. You think more about the crystal arthritis, septic arthritis, but it can still happen. So it's always important to think about the, the differential there and follow these patients up. These are in a rheumatologic, they're going to be more chronic patients, and you can see them over time, which is a is a, is a beneficial thing. Palindromic onset RA is interesting actually. So it kind of just like you said, it comes and goes. So palindrome is the same word as forward as it is backwards. So it kind you get synovitis and then it just disappears, and you act and completely you were completely fine in between episodes and so that that's that's in that's a, a disease or a, an issue within itself however when you these patients generally get referred over to rheumatology if you check their antibodies if they have poor sort of prognostic size to develop RA so if they're antibody positive they're female then they're more likely to, to then go on to develop RA so you kind of watch them over time and so people that are antibody positive this might be the initial the initial sort of beginning of their of their diagnosis so it's an important time to actually think oh is this something that's going to progress in which case we want to act a bit more aggressively thank you um so yeah so key questions to kind of try to elicit in the history so obviously when you're 
trying to ask about the history of the presenting complaint, it's important to decipher which joints in particular are involved. So as we've discussed, as Samir's mentioned, it's the metacarpophalangeal joints and the proximal interphalangeal joints that are more commonly infected in rheumatoid arthritis rather than the distal interphalangeal joints. It'd be important to know how many joints are involved. Obviously, that would help in sort of deciding whether this does fit the diagnostic criteria for rheumatoid arthritis. How long has it been going on for? So if it's over six weeks and it's been going on for months or you know years, then it's probably less likely to be inflammatory unless it's undiagnosed rheumatoid, in which case you'd expect to see sort of deformities or erosions on x-ray by that point. How long is the sort of pain and the, the swelling and the stiffness lasting for each time it comes on? Again, that would help you to decipher if this is palindromic or if it's persistent rheumatoid and and what are the things that make the pain worse or better? So commonly people with rheumatoid say that in the summer, their joints are much better. So in the heat, their joints are much better, but things tend to get worse or aggravated in the winter. And then I think a key question is if they do have sort of stiffness in the morning, how long does it take for that stiffness to, to go away? So if it's taking less than 30 minutes, then it may not be terribly significant potentially, but if it's lasting for sort of an hour, two hours, then I think that would be more, more suggestive. We would say that the seasonal changes also can be seen in, in OA as well. So it's a bit of a, mm. it's not as useful that, that question, because it, it's more about the barometric changes, the, the changes in pressure associated with colder days or damper days that can also flare pee patients osteoarthritis. And that's quite a common thing you see in the, in the older population as well. All right. Okay. Thanks. So I guess also in the history, it would be important to try to ask specific questions that would help you differentiate, sort of rule out other differentials. So obviously something else that obviously is inflammatory and would be any of the spondyloarthritides. So it'd be important to try to, to say, to ask those questions that might point it more towards rheumatoid rather than a spondyloarthritis. So some of the questions or some of the features that you would expect in a spondyloarthritis would include, and obviously we'll be doing a separate video on that, but would include things like back pain, any enthesitis symptoms, any of the sort of associated, so, you know, IBD symptoms, psoriasis, if it's reactive arthritis, obviously a recent infection, that kind of thing. So those would be important things to screen for. I'd also check in the uveitis as well. So in the context of IBD reactive or, or another inflammatory spark. So. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you. And then I guess in, in addition, in your history, you'd be wanting to screen for any of the if you are suspecting that this might be rheumatoid it'd be good to screen for any of the extra articular manifestations of rheumatoid arthritis but also any evidence of any complications if you think someone's had rheumatoid for a, for a while so things like for example if nodules so have they noticed any nodules on their elbows have they been breathless to suggest that maybe they have nodules in the lung or fibrosis of the lung have they noticed any evidence of raynodes which can be associated with rheumatoid do they have any symptoms suggestive of carpal tunnel syndrome do they have any peripheral neuropathy symptoms and then similarly to screening for uveitis rheumatoid arthritis itself can manifest in the eye. So it'd be important to ask if they've had any episodes of painful redness in the eyes that might suggest episcleritis or scleritis. I think actually pain would be scleritis, but so, and painless redness as in episcleritis, but also other things to screen for would be 
do they have any evidence of osteoporosis? Have they had any low trauma, yeah, low trauma fractures? And do they have anything suggestive of amyloid, which is difficult to screen for on the history? But for example, if they have carpal tunnel syndrome, that may very well be related to either their rheumatoid or to due to amyloid. I think that's a really important point. Not not the amyloid, but the, the, the more general screening for extraarticular manifestations. I think that really shows that you have an in-depth understanding of, of the disease itself and you're looking for complications of said disease. And I think that's a good holistic way of, of, of uh, managing patients, especially things like osteoporosis. And it's important to the patient, but it also shows that you understand what's going on, uh, be it in the interview or, or in real life. And then once you've kind of taken a history of presenting complaints, screened for those things, I think it's important as well when you're doing your sort of social history to really think about, always think in your mind, if, if this is truly rheumatoid, what treatments would be appropriate for this patient, which treatments would be contraindicated. So always when you're taking a history, it's important to ask, you know, is this a, is this a patient who's of childbearing age wanting to conceive? And if so, that might negate certain treatments, but if they're not, then are they on reliable contraception or are they just using sort of barrier contraception? What's, what work do they do and what implications is, is their disease having on their work? What's their living situation like and how's that impacting on their home situation? Alcohol is really important because a lot of the medication, a lot of the disease modifying agents that we use can affect liver function. So it's really important that you decipher what, how much alcohol they take per week. Do they currently have any active infections? Are they prone to recurrent infections? Do they have active cancer? And um, and what what other comorbidities do they have when you're when you're checking their past medical history? So in particular, do they have any lung disease? Do they have liver fibrosis? Are they known hypertensives? So that's sort of what I what I would suggest you sort of look for in the history. Again, I, I think that's really important. I think that's a really clear breakdown of what, what you should be asking. And that, that's that's part of any critical scenario or interview or whatever. You should do everything well. So you should ask about the social history it's expected because you could get little nuggets of information, but also in real life in clinic, the alcohol history, that kind of stuff is really, really important, as well as contraception, because like you said, three to one, female to male ratio they're all going to be females generally more likely than females of childbearing age so it's really important for their for the patient's ongoing future